Welcome to the second episode of the second season of African Gold, a cannabis podcast where we bring you face-to-face with the leading minds, mavericks, and entrepreneurs in the business as we dive into the rabbit hole, exploring some of the more complex issues facing the African cannabis industry. I'm your host, Neil Liddell. The Department of Health came out and said that cannabis has no nutritional value. We've been having talks about recreational cannabis for years with government. We've got a full bud bar where we have indoor, outdoor, greenhouse, hydroponics, and we've, we've set up a social grower. On today's episode, we sit down with Trenton Birch, co-founder of Chiba Cannabis Academy, Africa's first cannabis educational institution. But no one's actually taken the bull by the horns and going, right, this is what we need to do. Trenton spent the first decade of his life in Nigeria and the Middle East before returning to Joburg, where he discovered his two greatest passions that would change the direction of his life forever. Cannabis and music. Fully immersed myself into music, you know. I got my first little radio when I was, I think, eight or nine years old, and I always say that I never switch music off. It just grabbed me in such a deep, profound way, you know, and... Um, I was, I'm obsessed with music, absolutely obsessed. I always say like that my, my phone is like my pacemaker, you know, it's, I've got to have tunes in the car, tunes in the house, like it's constant, you know, and I, f- I feel music. If I walk into a, a venue or a space where the music is, is, is not good, I feel it. I'm like, ah, this is just, I hear everything, you know? So yeah, it's, a, it's an obsession of mine, you know, as a, as an artist and as a creative myself. And this obsession would lead him to create. Introducing Trenton and the Free Radical. I really believe in social development, you know, I believe in people for before profit. Um, I, I really believe in trying to uplift people. You know, may, maybe it's because of the way I was brought up because I traveled a lot and I was the new kid on the block. I was often the underdog, you know, when you arrive at a new school, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're the one in the corner, you know, trying to make friends. And so I've always had a, a, a compassion for, for the underdog, you know. Um, so in everything I've done, I've, I've always tried to help disadvantaged people. Uh, and, uh, you know, through, through the creative media school I ran, you know, as we had, we had 10 scholarships, you know, um, with, with the likes of Black Coffee, AKA Jeremy Loops. Um. So I came in, I'm a founding member of Bridges for Music. Um, we built an academy, an entrepreneur, music and entrepreneurial academy in Langa. So we have ambassadors like Skrillex, Richie Horton. So it's a very powerful initiative. You know, it took us three years to build the school on the ground, um, but uh, has had some you know real uh, seismic uh, impact on on young disadvantaged creatives. You know, so I've always been I've always been community driven and always done whatever I can to give back to the world. You know, it is through music that Trenton first got into the world of education, and where he would feed his passion by giving back to the music community. But now. It was time for him to take that experience and apply it to his second passion, cannabis. And so Chiba Academy was born. So we, we, are, we are Africa's first cannabis educator. Um, we do online courses, uh, whether it's self-study online or whether it's blended, where you self-study and join Zoom classes, which are very, very popular. We have a campus in Farinakan 
um, which uh, which we run, which is uh, you know has, uh, it's uh, we have small numbers of students. You know, the cl average classes are between 15 and 20 students, but it's all full time. They live on site, um, and uh, we, that, that's a partnership with PSL Training, who run a facility. So we've come in to bring cannabis into the space, and we're just slowly growing into the space. Um, and then we we are we are literally about to open a campus in Plettenberg Bay. Um, very different style, you know, Verenikin and Plett are like different universes. And we've done a deal with uh, the Canna Club there. So it's a, it's, a, it's a working cannabis club and they grow on site. You know, the, the spectrum is wide. A lot of people say, you know, and also with my marketing hat on, what's, what's your target market? And I go, well, really, it's, you know, a guy in the townships or a mama in the fields or a doctor or a lawyer. You know, we have all kinds of people on our courses because cannabis is such an all-encompassing uh, uh, plant that really just draws in people from all different walks of life. But essentially, we are an education and training company. You know, that's our core. And then we also run um, a YouTube channel called Craft Cannabis TV. We run webinars. Um, we run the Craft Cannabis Summit. Our whole approach to this industry has been, if, if it's going to grow, we've got to give. We've got to give webinars, we've got to do the summit, you know, which is free to, to join and, and just share and stimulate as much education and knowledge as possible. Because if we do that, then we will all benefit. And so through Chiba Academy, Trenton and his partners are spreading the word of sharing the love, empowering others to reap some benefit in this burgeoning global industry that is cannabis. But education alone will not guarantee that willing South Africans can gain access to the industry. It is widely accepted that South Africa has a great climate for cannabis cultivation. We have the skills and infrastructure to support this. And we have willing and innovative entrepreneurs and businesses wanting to contribute. The only piece of the puzzle still missing is an enabling legal framework. The Cannabis Master Plan shows that government has intent, but intent is like a slippery fish. Without action, it will slip out of your hands and be lost forever. Currently, regulations are managed by SAPRA, and it is here that we find our first hurdle. And I also realized just how utterly inadequately uh, equipped SAPRA are to deal with this cannabis industry. They are a massive barrier to entry. Um, we, we had a meeting with them, went round and round and round in circles. Eventually, I just thought, you know, the, and, and this whole thing about this 20 milligram um, uh, dosing protocol is just absolutely retarded. Can, can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, it's, it's just, I mean, I, I, the, the good thing about starting a CBD company was all of a sudden I had a baptism of fire in terms of learning about CBD ratios. And so all of that knowledge, you know, was incredible, you know, and, and we can we use that knowledge now in, in our education. But essentially, the limitations, you know, are 20 milligrams per serving and 600 milligrams per packaging. Um, you can ask any doctor who has any idea about cannabis, and they will tell you that 20 milligrams will do nothing. You know, the, the, the average is around 70 as a starting point. And it depends on the person. You know, there's, it's, it's not an exact science, which is because it's plant medicine. It's not supposed to be an exact science. Um, I mean, you know, if you, you walk into a store, you buy a, a six to 900 rand bottle of CBD, which, let's be honest, is expensive for most people, and you take it home and you do your 20 milligrams and it does nothing, you lose faith in the product. 
you know, so then you don't go back and buy it again. And I really feel for the, the CBD companies that are still slogging at it that have invested huge amounts, a lot more money than we did, because it's a tough battle. You know, I do believe in CBD without a shadow of a doubt, but I believe until the price comes down so that the milligrams can increase, that uh, it's, a, it's a tough game to be in. You know, I was on a, a, a webinar a few months ago, a few weeks ago, actually, with the Department of Health. There were about 60 people on there. And the, the deputy you know, uh, general of the Department of Health came out and said that cannabis has no nutritional value. I'm just, I mean, how can somebody in, in a position of power like that be so absolutely ignorant? You know, um, the facts of, 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 are obvious, you know, in terms of the nutritional value. So uh, a, a hugely destructive and naive statement. And, and unfortunately, you then get into a situation where you're like, you know, do, do these people actually have a clue what they're doing? Or is there a hidden agenda? You know, I think it's a combination of both, you know. There is an interest in our country globally from the global cannabis industry. We know we have incredible sun here and the results we get outdoor are mind-blowing. We don't need to, to grow under onerous GMP standards necessarily. I mean, there's a place for that as well. Um, we just don't get it. It's like, guys, like, we, we, so for, first of all, one of the challenges we have at the moment is that because legislation is taking so long to come online, we are losing our competitive edge. There's a new strain that's just been uh, launched and is really booming in California at the moment called Grapefruit Durban. So it's Durban Poison and uh, I forget the other uh, uh, part of the strain. Same as Girl Scout Cookies is, you know, the Durban Poison is one of the base strains for that. Um, so we have this legacy and this interest. We're a famous country globally, not necessarily for the right reasons, but, you know, people know who we are. Um, we have, I believe, have huge opportunity to export craft cannabis, you know, that comes specifically, whether it's Durban Poison, Swazi Gold, Malawi Cobb, from this region. And, uh, and we can produce it at a fraction of the price. But we are losing that competitive advantage as technology improves in Europe and America. So the cost per gram comes down as the countries like Mexico come online, as, as Asia comes online. We're losing that competitive advantage because we're not pulling together and because legislation is taking so long. We, we can have a really healthy industry here. The other thing is we can't trade locally. And until we can trade locally, nothing's going to happen. This whole off-take off thing is a load of bullshit. You know, it's like you can only have a license if you have an off-take. And that off-take is never guaranteed. It's a, it's a principle letter, you know, but if you're not producing to a certain standard or your THC levels are too low, or it can just disappear. And then you're stuck with all this product that you can't move. You know, so I, I really feel for the commercial farmers because they, they've put a lot of money into this space. So it's not all roses, and I don't think it ever will be. At the moment, the industry feels a bit like the Wild West. With the lack of clear regulation and rapidly expanding global cannabis economy, it's every man for himself, each trying to stake a claim in this newfound land. But we should be working together in the spirit of cannabis. And it's worth remembering that the grass isn't always greener on the other side. If we're not careful, we can all go up and smoke. We really believe that one of the biggest barriers to this industry at the moment is people not working together. You know, there's a lot of ego, there's a lot of guys in it just to make money. We always say to people, if you want to make money, the cannabis industry is probably the last place you should enter because it is a, it's a tough road. We've seen a lot of people fall on their face. Um, a lot of people spend you know, millions and millions of rands on setting up facilities and not able to move their product. 
Um, you know, it's a bun fight and everyone's trying to figure it out at the moment. So you've really got to come into cannabis because you believe in cannabis, not because you're looking for money. Uh, a woman from one of the newspapers, I won't mention the name, phoned me uh, six months ago and said, I want you guys to take part in this, um, this uh, report um, uh, insert we're doing. Um, it's called, uh, you know, the, the, the new the gold rush or the green rush. And I went straight back to her and I said, if that's the title, I'm not interested. And she said, why? I said, because you, are, you, you as the media are giving the wrong impression. This is about quick money. And a lot of people have lost money because of that. And it's attracting the wrong people. So if you change the name, we'll be involved. And if you don't, we're out. And you know what she did? She changed the name. What did she you change know? it to? I can't remember. I can't, remember. <laughs> I can't actually remember. But uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was good that, they, that, that she listened, you know. I thought, I don't want to be a dick, you know, and just tune her what she should call it. But I was like, you can't do this, you know. You, 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 you're, you're sending out the wrong perception of what this industry is, you know. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a minefield, you know. But essentially, you know, that's, that's, that's our ethos, you know. And it doesn't work for everybody. We've met some cowboys in this industry. We've dodged a few bullets, you know. But ultimately, I think we, we – I'd like to say, I'd like to think that we project a positive – you know, spirit and and uh, and uh, and and view of who we are, and touch wood, we seem to magnetize some incredible people. I mean, I have met the most incredible people on this journey that have just blown my mind. You know, so the spirit of where we come from is all about collaboration. It's all about giving. You know, that's what we do. We give knowledge. You know, we teach. We want to empower people. We want to build people up in everything we do. Um, whereas if you're running a farm, it's very competitive. If you're running a a CBD brand is very competitive, um, and and competition is is good and healthy. But uh, if you if you step over the line too far, then it becomes totally counterproductive. So it is through cooperation that the industry can thrive. But we need a legal framework to work from. The industry needs to have a set of rules to play by in order to enable this cooperation. Right now, a huge part of the industry lies in the shadows of the law in the black market. Ordinary people doing what they've always done, regardless of an unjust legal system. But most of these growers, sellers, and users would rather be doing so legally and join the formal economy. How do you see the black market integrating into the legal economy, like into the legal cannabis space? What do you, how do you think that should happen? I mean, that's a, it's a complex question in the sense that, you know, you have two different sides of, of the underground black market. You've obviously got the, the sort of Eastern Cape rural farmer side, and then you've got the guys, you know, carrying nine millimeters who sling, you know, uh, uh, you know cannabis into, into Santon and places like that, you know. Um, I think, I think we, we've had a few underground growers on our courses who want nothing more than to go legitimate, you know. And some of these guys are hard guys, you know. You wouldn't want to meet in a dark alley. But they are they are committed to getting paperwork because they want to go legit. You know, I think most people, if they had the choice, would rather live above the law than below the law because it's especially in South Africa with our our jails and our our police. You know, it's not really the the area you want to play in if you can avoid it. So, a lot of these guys are trying to legitimize, and and we really respect that. You know, because I think it's an important step forward. Um, I think I think it's going to take time. I think if the barriers to entry are too high for that part of the market. Uh, things will continue as they are. I mean, we saw this happen in California where the legislation was so so hardcore 
that a lot of the illegitimate guys couldn't afford to legitimize. So what happened was all of their, their cannabis improved in terms of quality because the whole industry uplifted and they just carried on doing what they're doing. Um, in Canada, there's literally, I think it was three, four months ago, it was a crossover between illegal and legal. Um, so that so it is happening and it will happen. Um, so I think that side is just a question of time, uh, but over-legislation will keep people on the underground. Mm. But then also, as the industry opens up, if you can go to a dispensary and buy weed, clean, you know what it is, you know, to go to some dodgy corner or some guy dodgy comes past and throws it through your window, most people would rather avoid that if they can. So as the industry becomes more professional and, and regulated, I think you know, it's the same as the music industry. You know, when people used to pirate music, like who pirates music anymore? You know, because it's so easy to access it, you know, via, via Spotify and iTunes. And it's just, it's just, it's more effort than it's worth to, to pirate it. So I think that will take a little bit of time. In terms of the whole Eastern Cape thing, that's a whole nother conversation. I mean, that is a very unique situation to South Africa. I mean, the only place you can really compare it to is Mexico. Where they have have been, you know, exporting cannabis as we have for decades into them into the states, as into Europe. Um, that is a complex issue. We cannot allow this industry to move forward without mm. keeping those people in mind and bringing them into the economy. Um, yeah, I mean, it would be an absolute travesty uh, for for those people to be marginalised. In fact, it, it, in my opinion, it will never happen because. Um, if it does, there will be violence on the streets, you know, because you cannot, you know, marginalize people who have essentially been growing cannabis for centuries, who, you know, for over 300 years, you know, um, have are the, are the very reason that South Africa is considered such a hot topic for cannabis. You know, we have been exporting cannabis. I mean, there are all kinds of stats, but I mean, uh, Interpol, you know, uh, at one point reckoned that one in four halls of cannabis could be traced back to South Africa. That's just one stat. I mean, there's all kinds of stats. So we've been exporting cannabis. We have a huge cannabis industry here already, you know. We've been exporting it for decades. And these are people who are not getting rich off cannabis. These are people putting food on the table. You cut that supply and and, and there will be hell to pay, you know. Uh, so I think I was in, in Pondoland last week and um, I went to a, a location and this guy was probably growing about 50 plants and he had just finished building his parents a house. Unfortunately, it wasn't a hemp house. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was bricks and bricks and mortar, but um, he built his parents a freaking house from selling weed. You know, he didn't go and buy himself a BMW or go and buy himself a gold Rolex. He actually provided a house for his parents. It was just mind-blowing i was like this is a real example of how cannabis is helping marginalize poor people and we cannot allow that not to continue so so at the moment there's there's a lot of talk and waffling and but no one's actually taken the bull by the horns and going right this is what we need to do everyone's fucking around with multinationals you know putting out these big licenses spending millions and millions of rands on 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 uh, on these uh, these grow operations which i also support because we need all kinds of levels but these guys on the ground have still not been dealt with and that is absolutely unacceptable it is unacceptable on sapra's part it is unacceptable on the government's part the, the, the department of agriculture's part they are failing our people 100% so i feel very strongly about the fact that that is what we have to deal with you know if we don't deal if we deal with that and that alone then we fix half the issues in terms of cannabis because the guys with the money will always have the money 
you know, and we need them, you know, and we need to export money because uh, export cannabis so we can import, you know, uh, dollars and pounds and euros. But, you know, the, 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 and there are models to incorporate those people and there are models to make sure that the, 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 the product is to a certain standard, you know, and, but it just, it just flip flops around from one department to another and one person talking about there's no unified, um, narrative on it from government, you know. We need a cannabis office in the government that, uh, that has cannabis experts and representatives, but who also understand that that, ma that matrix needs to be looked after. You know? So let us not lie down and wallow in complacency. In Trenton's words, We have to fight, dude. Neil, we have to fight. In the meantime, keep well, stay safe, and I'll catch you next time for another toke of African gold. Thank you.